there's a perception that in private industry, there's 100% focus on the bottom line. And in public industry, there's a 100% focus on kind of altruistic, no sense on kind of the economics of the organization. And neither of those things is true. <laughs> uh, you have to be, you have to do both of those things in both of those, those areas. Hi, Kelsey. It's time for another episode of Campus Confidential. Yeah, I'm excited. Me too. How about you tell everyone who our guest is today? Yes, today we have with us Jim Dwyer, who is the Assistant Vice President for Auxiliary Business Services at Arizona State University. You know, our listeners probably know Arizona State as a really innovative place. It's uh, you know, the president, for example, has been in that innovation space for quite some time, and the university has sponsored a number of innovation summits. Uh, and it's the kind of place that hires an out-of-the-box thinker and somebody with a non-traditional path like Jim. So I think we're going to hear a little bit about that today, about his background, and I'm I'm really pleased that we'll we'll be able to bring him to our listeners. Yeah, I've known Jim for a number of years now. What I think is really interesting about him is he's... Um, very introspective and intentional about the way in which he shows up in spaces. And I think our listeners will hear that today in the podcast, the intentionality of his answers. I also think if we listen closely, you get nuggets of insights on what Hmm. it takes to keep Mm -hmm. that introspection going. Yeah. Yeah. And he's an ultra distance runner. I found out today and lived in Australia. I mean, there's a lot going on here that I'm, I'm looking forward to, to people getting to hear. Not to mention Dwyer is his second name. So Ooh, teaser. Teaser. Let's jump into the episode. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good. Good. Uh... Good to see you. Good to see you. We're excited to have you on Campus Confidential. Thanks. Uh, I I can't uh, I can't thank you enough for the invitation and uh, the opportunity. Well, let's see. We know that you're an avid listener, so we thank you for that. And that also leads me to you know our opening question. So we'll give you the softball. <laughs> How do you describe your job to a rideshare driver? I do, and uh, I interestingly, I so I listened to the latest episode, and I was actually quite anxious that the person was going to answer with my answer, and I thought, like, please don't <laughs> what what I'm thinking about saying, um, and it's probably not uncommon, but uh, I think I'd mentioned to you before, Kelsey, that I when I'm in a, a ride share and I'm asked what I do, uh, it's it's always it's kind of a game uh, to say that I work at a, a university and then to follow that up with how does the person respond to that? Typically, most drivers are going to have some, some follow-up comment based on it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to go from there. So it could be, you know, what's up with your football coach? Like what happened with your team? And then, <laughs> you know, I can talk about athletics and we can talk about, you know, uh, about actual 
NCAA things, uh, actual performance, sports, whatever that may be. Um, I've actually had drivers who have had um, technology background in higher education or were a student and worked in the IT office and had some reference to, to the university and you know, what their IT does. And I can hold my own in that for, uh, you know, maybe a 20 minute, 30 minute drive. It's <laughs> <laughs> a long drive. Not usually having to go that much further, but uh, um, it, it rarely gets into the academic piece. Uh, sometimes it gets into um, specifics. You know, if I if I really have to shut the conversation down, I can tell them I also oversee parking and transportation, and that usually they just kind of like turn the radio up and uh, and and focus on the road, which is also fine. So some of the rideshare drivers think they've met the football coach. Some of them think they've met the uh, inventor of the internet. Some think they've met the valet, <laughs> right? Depending on what they took from those conversations. Yeah, it, to me, it's uh, it's one of those core competencies. I think we have to have in our jobs that support all areas of the institution that you need to be able to hold your own talking about almost any area or any topic mm-hmm. that could be tangentially related to the university because we're in in engagements on a daily basis with such diverse groups, whether that's students directly, administrators, faculty, staff, mm-hmm. operations, uh, that you really do need to know a little bit of how everything works and what's going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's like I said at the beginning, it's it's almost a little bit of a test. Uh, mm-hmm. And for my institution, I don't ever try to uh, uh, align myself with being a part of the football coaching staff based on the. <laughs> <laughs> it will be like, who are you taking from the portal? Who's going into the portal? What NIL deals do you have? Right. That's a conversation. That- <laughs> yes. I could go there a little bit, but. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. So Jim, tell us what were you like as a college student? Where did your whole kind of career start? So uh, I actually started working on a college before college. I started working on a college campus before college. Um, I Growing up, uh, I grew up relatively close to a small town state college, now state university. And I had a family member that ran the bookstore. And it was essentially a rite of passage that uh, that all of the nieces and nephews work at the bookstore over the summers. So that was like one of, that was probably the first like legitimate summer job that I had where we, school ended on a Friday, Monday morning, I got picked up kind of like a, a, a work release program <laughs> <laughs> and we got carted off to the, to the, to the college campus and uh, literally freight trucks backed up to the student union and we unloaded boxes and boxes of used books, uh, stacked them in a dark corner of this ancient rec center and literally were handed um, uh, goo gone and sticker remover knives to, to peel prices off of books and, uh, and clean them and get them ready for uh, distribution on the the sales floor for the fall semester. And really my entire summers were spent doing that with sometimes college students coming in and out, but mostly 
you know, underaged. I think it was probably illegal. Uh, <laughs> I don't actually remember ever. I remember one point being told like not to go into the, onto the sales floor, like interact with us. Can't be seen. <laughs> You're a behind the scenes worker. Yes. Yes. Very behind the scenes. But uh, that gave me a little bit of an introduction, uh, which was, which was good. Um, so as far as an actual college student, um, I would say that I was typically an overachiever. Uh, I, my college experience is probably similar to my professional experience in that I had some uh, medical issues leaving high school, ended up going to a small regional college uh, university in Massachusetts, where I'm from, uh, spent two years there and decided that I wanted to explore further. So I transferred to a large state university in California uh, to, to really experience something very different. Um, so between those two experiences, really just fully immersed myself in a new kind of unknown places uh, and really thrived on that. Just being dropped in the middle of nowhere with no knowledge of the geography and the landscape, and you just kind of have to figure it out. <laughs> was that unusual for you to do something that bold, cross-country, different size institution, or was that really a leap? Um, I, I I don't know. Uh, that's a, that's a good mm -hmm. question. I, I think it's based on the career choices that I've made, I would say that it's probably uh, something that's been embedded in me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it certainly wasn't demonstrated. I didn't come from a family of people that moved around a lot. Uh, most of my family is all within a, a pretty small geographical location and, and stayed pretty pretty connected. Mm. But uh, I've always had a bit of a, a wandering wanderlust, I should say. Yeah, yeah. And tell us about, so you went to California, California uh, to finish up college. And then tell us a little bit, just to expand on that, your, your path, your career path and yeah, so I, I I went to California and I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And uh, in in California at the time, you really needed to complete your four year degree in your subject matter that you wanted to teach, and then you did an additional year of um, student teacher experience. And by the time I got to my four years of college, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I want to get a job. I want to start making money. I want to start you know, the next chapter in my life. Uh, so although I still very much identified with that kind of teaching that culture, um, I decided it was going to be in a, in a different way. I actually, at that point, um, decided to take an internship, uh, at a boarding school in the outback of Australia. And, uh, that also reconfirmed my desire not to become necessarily a teacher. <laughs> um, maybe not the best environment. I, I probably could have done this in some like cushy San Diego school <laughs> if I had just decided to stay there. But uh, really, really wanted to get into the workforce. And um, and I also had a strong desire at that point and, and really the mentality that I think is actually really uh, a, a hallmark of a good lifelong learner in that at that point, I, I didn't want a, a school or a formal program to tell me what I should be learning. I just wanted to learn on my own. So I was 
consuming massive amounts of uh, information, books, uh, really into um, art and culture and focusing on the things that I wanted to spend time on and um, really decided that I was going to get into the workforce and take my learning more from a self-directed position. That makes me wonder, so what did you major in in college? What was your degree actually in? So my undergraduate degree is actually in social sciences, Okay, which is pretty vague. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hmm, all right. I guess I could have been a social studies teacher. Uh, mm. uh, it was with a focus in history. So most of my credits uh, are history classes, but very broad. So touching on all of the social sciences. So history, economics, uh, yeah, pretty broad, broad spectrum of, um, of content. And again, it was, I'm assuming that California did that intentionally to create a well-rounded teacher, but, uh, I never got to find out that for sure. As you say, the, the, you said it's pretty vague. Uh, on the other hand, how has that served you or not served you? Um, the vagary in your career? I, I, I think it's actually served me well. Uh, it's again, helped me really be able to absorb really diverse amounts of information and be interested in a pretty diverse subject, uh, area, which I mean, it, it kind of correlates to auxiliary services, right? I mean, <laughs> auxiliary services is kind of like social sciences. Like, what does that actually mean? <laughs> like, what do you do on your campus? It's it, none of them are the same. Uh, any social studies or social sciences uh, major could have taken a very uh, different, you know, course uh, course catalog, taken a lot of different types of things. Uh, and very similarly in auxiliaries, you could be over a very broad amount of, uh, mm -hmm. uh, areas that you may have some experience in and then others you don't and mm -hmm. kind of adapt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you were a young child <laughs> cleaning off books. Well, young child, I'm being extreme, but you were working on with textbooks when you were young, you went to college for social, social sciences, you travel. How do you end up with your first career paid, uh, related to higher ed? How do you end up with, cause you went to fall it then, right? I did. So, uh, and this will, pro this is probably also, uh, not, uh, necessarily approves or, um, would probably get, thankfully, uh, the person that hired me is long since retired. So they won't get safe, uh, <laughs> safe. Uh, clear. I actually got hired at that same college. Uh, once I came back from Australia and I went back to Massachusetts with really, uh, not a clear direction <laughs> on what I was going to do and, uh, was offered an opportunity to go back to that, uh, college campus. Uh, to work at that exact bookstore in an actual management capacity because I did, uh, while I was in California, I did work in retail uh, through my college uh, career, uh, my undergrad years. So I had some retail experience and the, the manager of the store knew that I had retail experience and needed somebody with retail experience. Uh, so offered me a job that was most likely going to be just something to uh, get me out of the house and um, 
get me to start earning some money uh, with no, definitely no career aspirations in that space or in higher education. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or using my actual degree in any way, shape or form. <laughs> so basically you're at a place where you don't know what you want to do, but you need to make some money. Yes. That's what I hear. You need to make some money and uh, uh, Yes, need to make some money and uh, and the I think short term manual labor uh, opportunities I had at that time were this this was much more appealing. Lauren, you'd appreciate it. Like it, it was around December. It was actually it was December when I started that job, uh, and it was getting cold outside, and I had been mm-hmm. working outside uh, and thought an inside job is much more preferable. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Rent rent. Uh, Payment due dates, weather—all those things are great motivators to <laughs> to career changes and career moves, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. So that in that job, uh, it was with Follett, uh, and uh, who I had no knowledge of or uh, uh, experience with, um, but I recognized probably short time after starting. Uh, one less to do with the job that I actually wanted to go back to California. <laughs> mm. uh, not necessarily San Diego, but uh, I had a desire to travel again and to to have that uh, have that experience. And uh, through some conversations through the leadership team at the the store that I was working at on the campus that I was at, uh, presented like someone in your position working for a company like this that has locations all over the country. It's a great way to you know have subsidized. Uh, travel across country and uh, and a job waiting for you. And uh, if you're interested, that's something that we can work towards. So had some very great mentorship uh, throughout that entire, I think I was there for a year and a half with very specific goals of like, I want to be out of here in a year and a half. <laughs> that was, I think at that time, that was like the amount of tenure you had to have in one location before they would you know move you somewhere else. Um, but uh, the manager that I had was, um, uh, completely on board and essentially gave me access to all the, the tools and information that I needed to be ready for that next level. Um, and, uh, really set me on a path, I think, to everything that came from them. I, I was just thinking to myself, um, Jim, you, you know, you spent all these years with Follette and uh, now you're actually at a university campus. And I'm wondering if there are things that you noticed were easier to accomplish adjacent to higher education or harder, or, you know, on the, on the opposite hand, uh, easier or harder to accomplish as a university employee. You know, I, have you ever looked at those differences and observe, made observations about leadership in each realm? Uh, both and every day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, there, there are, uh, and I, I think this is probably true in any, in anything that you do. Uh, there's go- going to be, uh, things that are harder to work through, easier to work through. You know, the, the, I think that there's less, there's a perception that in private industry, there's a hundred percent focus on the bottom line. And in public industry, there's a hundred percent focus on kind of altruistic, no sense on kind of the economics of the organization. And neither of those things is true. <laughs> mm. uh, you have to be, you have to do both of those things in both of those, those areas. And, 
I think that's something that, that working in private industry, supporting higher education forced me to have to think about how does this, how is this sustainable? How do I demonstrate that this business is providing a return on the investment the company is is uh, is required to provide, but then also meeting the customer's needs, meeting the institution's needs, uh, you know, doing all of those other things that are expected, um, which is essentially the same thing on the institutional side. Uh, you know, we're we're not asked for um, you know the financial return, but you can hear from leadership when they talk about what institutions investing in, how it's accomplishing what it's accomplishing. Yes, it's not for profit. That's not our goal. That's not our drive. That's not our mission. Um, we have a very clear, direct mission here, um, which I 100% support. Um, but you have to do things a certain way to be able to accomplish that. And I think it's helped create some of that discipline and just perspective, um, especially when trying to advance things. Uh, things tend to move a little bit slower in higher education, uh, maybe not as slow as. Um, other, you know, state organizations, <laughs> government <laughs> itself. Yeah. yeah. Government is an example. Um, but it, it helps when there's some clarity into why things work, they do the way they do and being able mm -hmm. to explain that, especially to all of the tangential organizations that we're working with that are really, truly a lot. If we've done things correctly, then those organizations are aligned with the university and its goals and its mission and the, the reason why we're here. Um, they maybe have to achieve alternative um, goals to, to keep moving forward as well. But um, at the end of the day, it's really about that alignment and, and then recognizing that we can't all focus on just one singular thing. So when you think about you've, you've made a lot of moves in your career. Uh, you've been at ASU now for how long? Um, almost seven years. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I would pose that it's a very, uh, innovative and exciting institution. So there's opportunity for change and growth within where you've been, but talk to us about, um, gym outside of work. Do you have a family? What do you, what do you like to do? How do you, how have you maintained, I think the question I have is, how have you maintained kind of the consistency of gym through all of these moves and life transitions from a work perspective? Yeah. I mean, gym can be like put into a box and, uh, and be moved anywhere. Gym <laughs> <laughs> is portable. Yes. No, I think, I mean, it, uh, um, I think of myself as a very creative person and driven by kind of creative uh, uh, instincts and also just a, a, an interest in discovering new things. And it, uh, it's something that has helped um, keep me focused and, and level set uh, throughout all of these, uh, these different moves. Um, I also am fairly obsessive compulsive. So when I get into things, uh, I can get into them pretty deeply and, uh, um, that becomes a whole other, uh, focus of time. But, 
you asked about like family and all the things. I, I, I do all the things with a fairly good sized family. Uh, so lots of, uh, lots of demands on the time and, um, lots of, uh, positive distractions from, from work. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what's one thing that kind of has your attention, the OCD attention right now? Oh boy. Right now, uh, there are a lot of things actually. I kind of have an invisible checklist in my head of things that, that I want to, or I don't know, I think I need to get them done. I know theoretically nothing bad is going to happen if I don't get them done, but I think some unconscious part of me thinks the world is going to, you know, uh, uh, explode if, if I don't get those things done. So it starts with like, I'm a very passionate runner. So if I don't get a certain number of miles in, or if I don't have that time, which that's a whole other mental health thing, less to do with like actual, like, uh, uh, exercise and physical health. But, um, there's that aspect to it, you know, to the point that I think, I don't know if I've talked to you about this or not, Kelsey, but I mean, I've literally run around a, a bench at a, an airport terminal, um, at like my daily run in, because I would, I have to have it, you know, checked off on the, on the GPS tracker that I've gotten my run in for the day. <laughs> and just for our listeners, when he says run, we're not talking like a mile a day, right? No, we're talking. Yeah, yeah. We're usually, um, uh, like right now I'm 50 to 60 miles a week. Oh my, <laughs> so that's a lot. It's a lot of laps around that airport bench. If we're gonna, it was, it was, <laughs> um, I got quite a few, um, understandably confused looks from people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we check off running. What else are we checking off the list? Um, so as far as like, uh, just being able to like have that separation of, of thought, uh, I'm also really into creativity and, uh, design. So, um, I'm usually working on some type of art project, whether it's painting or drawing or, um, or woodworking. I have several of those projects in flight right now. Um, and I think that's a, a good, a good distraction and something that, that also like, I feel like a fundamental sense of missing if I'm not doing those things. And I haven't had that over a period of time. What's your, uh, woodworking? Like, are you building coffee tables <laughs> what do we build i am actually uh i i am yes, uh, i'm good guess a building uh, i just finished uh, a couple of outdoor kind of um uh uh modern chairs uh because i couldn't find anything that i liked to purchase and the wait times were like a year for patio furniture so i found some designs online and built them myself um but i'm also just i'm really interested in um kind of discovery through trial. So, uh, I love buying like a, just a block of exotic wood or, or random wood. And I just start carving it up. Um, a recent project that I did was I found a tree limb in the forest on a hike and that looked interesting and, uh, took it home and spent, you know, a couple of weekends just sanding it and, uh, shaping it into something that I thought was cool and, 
my family thinks I'm insane, but like the, I, the, the, the practice of sanding wood, I find it very, uh, very calming. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something there, but I'm not sure what it yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you could hook me up with some other, uh, podcasts, uh, self-help, uh, <laughs> content. <laughs> Yeah. So is the running, the sanding, the woodworking, it's, it's doing something for you. Uh, those are maybe so, I don't know if they're solo activities, but I presume they could be. Uh, is that a way that you find your feet? Or do you need that? Just talk about how, where you go, how you go about getting what you need to feel balanced and able to go back and do the hard work of, of leading. Yeah, it, it definitely is. That's that's both from a, a work perspective and from a family perspective. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, I would I would say that to to my wife or my kids, and they they know it. Uh, like these things are connected to being able to be present and focused and uh, in the right frame of mind while engaging in those those spaces. And it's mm-hmm. it's important to support and to maintain the the positive aspects so you know when things are going great it just it continues to help uh when things are not going great it's even more important <laughs> yeah to do these yeah. things uh and um it's it's not interchangeable with uh with how how i'm approaching a, a work problem or uh, a leadership problem or from a you know, making sure that I'm there for my family and, and helping them, you know, do what they need to do and mm-hmm. navigate the things that they're navigating. It mm-hmm. may answer that question differently, but uh, that's my take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been fascinated by uh, Arizona State for some time. I think of it, at least from the outside looking in, as a, a very innovative place or a place that embraces innovation, at least. And I know Arizona State has sponsored... Um, an innovation summit of sorts for a number of years. Of course, the president has been in that space. I know there's a goal to enroll, I think, 150,000 students or something. We're, bold. we're past 150,000. Is it? Okay. So there's there's these this sort of um, brand, if not reality, around innovation. What I'm wondering is, uh, l- let me sort of submit that sometimes I, I see these innovation and change makers and it just blows me away. People who invent new solutions, things. And then sometimes I see people who I, I, it might even be easier or harder rather, or as hard to commit to constancy of purpose, know exactly what you want to do and stay in that place rather than change a lot. Where am I going with this? That's a good question, Lauren. I guess what I'm wondering is um, when you look at, when you're at a place like Arizona State that's so innovative, uh, do you have any observations about leadership and um, constancy of purpose and how hard or that is versus innovation and change and how hard it is to do that well. I, I think it is. I think it is. Uh, so it's um, it's it's actually, I think, been a really good fit for me based mm-hmm. on the type of work that I've liked to do, mm-hmm. and the focus that I've liked to have, and and the change component to it. Because with that innovation comes continuous change mm-hmm. and, and drive. I think. You know, all the way back to potentially wanting to become a teacher, uh, and I mm. mentioned earlier that desire to be around the culture of education, um, 
my mother was a teacher. I came from a family with a, of a lot of teachers. My wife is a teacher. Uh, uh, it, uh, it's kind of the, the underlying force, but then being in a place that is constantly looking at the challenges that our society mm -hmm. is presenting and actually embracing the opportunity to address them, uh, is not really something I've experienced in a lot of other places, uh, whether mm, yeah. or even tangentially in, in the work that I've done or I've seen. Um, so it's, uh, it is a unique environment in higher ed. I'm, I'm sure that there are other institutions out there. I know that there are, you know, different categories of institutions and there are, are, are schools that are doing some amazing work. I think what's being done here is, is remarkable in, in that it really is, uh, singularly focused on the core purpose mm -hmm. while recognizing there are multiple ways to get there. And there's a climate of challenging each other and, uh, advancing good ideas and, mm -hmm. uh, embracing difficult situations, <laughs> uh, and, and really support throughout the organization to, to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It's extremely difficult. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time I feel like it's, uh, almost, I've never worked for a tech startup, but I feel like it's a very tech startup type mentality <laughs> where there's, you know, a scramble and there's, uh, um, there's a core business we need to continue to do really well at to just support the business and to make sure that we have some continuity. But at the same time, there's this like new thing that we're going after and we have to be uh, aggressive and innovative and, and not just what it is that is being done, but also how in my space, how are we supporting it from a service perspective? How are we funding it from a financial perspective? Uh, how does it integrate into other things? And in the years that I've been here, no year has there not been some major disruption. Um, you know, whether that be supporting a campus in another state or a program in another country to working with external industry um, and like big things, not just like we're taking on this little program. And mm -hmm. yeah. has that has that commitment to creativity and innovation uh, and invention and discovery, has that been something that you have supported in your leadership role in work or has that actually been one of the ways you've delivered on your work? Have you tried to introduce all that into your own areas of responsibility? I think it's both. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that, that's a really good question. Um, I, I do think it's both and it's, uh, it's been really good to be surrounded by, by people who have a similar mindset, who are creative mm -hmm. and, and who are interested and, and who are engaged, um, and are okay being uncomfortable with what's being asked of us <laughs> again mm -hmm. in support of the, the mission. So I do think the, the two, the two do, do go hand in hand. You, you might be getting a little bit at it. it takes a certain kind of leader to work at a different, you know, each different place has a culture. So the ability to assess, is this a place I could be successful? It's okay. If Arizona state's not a place that you would thrive, it might be another place where, but for you, that's a perfect place to thrive it, that the sort of tech startup sort of mentality. Uh, I, I feel like maybe you're getting at how important it is to be a good student of your own leadership and therefore be able to assess the environments that you can, you can thrive. Yeah. 
yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a, a good way to, a good way to look at it. Um, I think as an industry in general, uh, people who work in higher ed have an inquisitive mind and are interested in kind of learning things and understanding things. Uh, I think we're certainly seeing a new generation of that who are doing that in more interesting ways uh, and more, uh, external learning is more welcome. Um, so just bringing your traditional, you started working at the university and you were a student worker and you kind of worked your way up in the office. And then the next thing you know, you're, you know, an associate director, then you're a director, then you're, you're kind of in a leadership role, which is a perfectly good path. And, and a lot of people here have gone that path as well. But I think there's a, a, a a change in the acceptance of a diverse group of people. Mm -hmm. you, so you could have not worked in higher education at all, but you still have to have that inquisitive mind and that interest in learning and exploring and understanding uh, things to be successful. Because if, if you come into this space and you think like, I've done this one thing and I know how to do it really well. And I'm, that's going to translate to being able to do that really well here. Like, that's not going to work. <laughs> uh, and, and we see that a lot. I mean, people who have had that kind of career trajectory and, and yeah, I work a lot of people on my team I work with and, and I, I know I've had to be uh, coached and mentored in certain areas like this, where like you get really good at something because you know how to do it operationally really well. Uh, and it can get hard. It can be hard to get out of that space when you're presented with an opportunity to uh, to change and adapt and to innovate. Um, and we're just constantly being challenged with that. And it's uh, it's created a diverse a diverse workforce. Uh, I think a diverse group of students that challenge us. Um, that's that's probably one of the to me exciting things about about being in higher ed and, and in here in general. Yeah. I wonder how does that affect your leadership style? Like how does that affect how you show up for your team? So the fact that I have worked my way up through the operational level, uh, it to me has always been something that is a core component to connecting with the, the, people that, that I work with and that are a part of my team still close enough to like be somewhat dangerous <laughs> <laughs> with no enough to be dangerous with, with actual like frontline interactions. So, you know, one-on-one -on -one customer interactions, you know, and, and it's okay to, to consider our community like customers from my space. Like ev everyone is a customer. <laughs> We're trying to create the best experience for them possible. Uh, so I think that aspect along with the, the, the desire to learn and, and, and innovate and create change has led me more into probably asking more questions um, as far as how I show up with, with my team and wanting to learn about the people and what experience they're bringing what they're actually interested in and what's driving them from a, they want to learn more about, they want to be more, um, uh, more engaged with. And then how does that line up to the things that we actually need to accomplish? You know, the just core 
core functions that we have to support and execute on every day. Yeah. I hear you talking about kind of the way in which people um, contribute. And and it also, I'm going to make a stretch a little bit to kind of the the legacy piece of conversation that I think has been coming up in, in some of these podcasts is the way in which people want either intentionally or unintentionally to leave legacy. And I think as leaders, how you're giving them space to show up and be authentic to what they can bring to the table is huge. I also think some decisions we make in our personal lives impact um, legacy. And so I would love it if you kind of started to share a story before we recorded. So I'm going to encourage you or bring back the kind of the story about your name and, and a little bit about your legacy, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. Uh, so we were talking and, um, uh, the punchline comes later. It doesn't start with the death of my father when I was six, but (laughs) (laughs) it, uh, it, so my mother remarried and, uh, we, um, uh, were adopted, uh, have an amazing father, um, was raised, uh, and, uh, and I think an ideal condition. Um, I recognized later on as I was about to get married and about to have my first child, uh, that I'd always stayed very connected to that original name. Um, we had our names changed when we were adopted when I think I was seven or eight. And, uh, had the idea that I wanted to change it back because I wanted to pass that name on to, uh, to my kids. And, um, that was really important. Uh, it was a major gesture, I think, to, to the family. Um, I'm the oldest of my family, uh, and kind of oldest amongst a lot of the cousins and extended family. So, uh, really one of the first to kind of go through that, uh, that transit, that life transition. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah. So, so just did it, just went for it. And it's for anyone out there who's had to change their name. It's not a fun experience. (laughs) (laughs) It is not as easy experience. Um, but, uh, got that done very, uh, expeditiously just before the, the wedding. So everything could be set for that. But, um, it was a little awkward in that my wife did not change her last name. Uh, after uh, our marriage. So having to explain to people like, well, yeah, she has a different last name, but, but I have a different last name too. And <laughs> it's, it's only fair. <laughs> yeah. I didn't just make it up. I mean, which is fine. <laughs> like here's, here's what it is. And here's, here's why it is. Um, our, our kids actually now have uh, her last name is their middle name. So they all have the same middle name and, and, and my last name. And uh, we've tried to pass that, uh, pass that on to them. But, um, yeah, it's, I still, uh, I feel, feel like I made the right decision, uh, had complete support from my parents. Uh, my father was completely supportive of it, which was, uh, fantastic. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot to a name and, uh, it's been, it's been important. There is a lot to a name and it's something that I think about often I, when I first got married, I didn't change my name. I was Kelsey Harmon, uh, 
still. And then I used Finn, what I like to call socially. (laughs) So if people put our names together on wedding invitations or other things, you know, I was fine. I would say Brian and Kelsey Finn. I was fine with that. And then we moved, we were in Illinois and we moved to Nevada and I was on the same train. And then Nevada doesn't really like you to use different names that aren't legally yours. <laughs> they seem to frown upon that. It seems like, it seems like that state would actually encourage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a telling you. People, a lot of people using different names in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I now just have all the names, right? I kept my middle name, moved my last name to my middle name. And, um, but it is kind of that how you honor your kind of family legacy and, and and move that through. So I think that's um, a big move for you and your family to have done that. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it was. Um, and it's, it, and, and it's a great story today and I can commiserate with people when they, when they have, when they have to go through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So Jim, as we think about kind of, higher education, you have three, right? Three children? Yes. Three young humans that will be heading to higher education at some point. What is your hope for the future related to higher education? My hope for the future for higher education is... Can I just open up chat GPT and type that in? And Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That seems like an essay question on a college admissions uh, exam. <laughs> mm, the pressure, the pressure. I, you know, I think this is where this is where I struggle in that I I I do think about my my kids and I think about their current state <laughs> of learning uh, and how I want to be able to help them. So, like in one space, I think about that. Um, I think about my one daughter who took a uh, in her junior year of high school, a college advisory course this past year. And I knew when she was in that class every day because she would text me a question about uh, higher education that she expected me to know, regardless of what area it was. <laughs> <laughs> Dad is the expert in all things. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, she would definitely not admit to that, but uh, <laughs> she was in a class and needed an answer desperately. And I guess <laughs> instead of asking Google uh, or chat GPT, she asked me, uh, but I, I would think for them, it's, this is a, this is a super hard question because you, you can answer it. I can answer it in a way that as I'm trying to support the tens of thousands of students that are coming through our institution today, I have very clear objectives and ways that I want to support them and, uh, an understanding of like what that looks like when they first get here to what the goals and aspirations are when they leave. Um, when I think about my own kids, I'm like, I just hope the, uh, I hope the financial aid process is easier by the time I get, I get there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think that's a fair point. I think when you think about when you are someone who's working in higher education and you think about this serving the uniqueness of the individual and how you can elevate that and take that to the masses and that back and forth is something that um is a very important piece for the future because 
I think the way in which individuals show up, the way in which um, individual needs are, and the way learning takes place, you have to be able to go between those two pieces. Yeah, and you know, my so my oldest has has been in has been taking dual enrollment courses since she started high school, and which meant we had to register at a community college, and. I like struggled mightily going through that application process. <laughs> and it just made me think like, if I'm having this hard of a time going through this, um, how hard it must be for others that have never actually experienced that, have never gone through that. How many kids are in that school that, you know, the kid themselves or their parent just said like, we can't figure this out. We're, we're going to stop. Uh, and, and when you think about how many people just in general across our society are in a, that position, which uh, is I think something that this university is trying to address or approach. Uh, is it perfect? No. Um, is my understanding of it perfect? Like clearly not, <laughs> but, but I think there is a thread there and, uh, how I guess my hopes for the future get connected to what I'm doing today, to what my children get to experience is that there's a pathway for them that they get exposed to what they need to get exposed to, which could be very different. It could be from a social perspective. It could be from a classroom learning perspective. It could be from a technical perspective, uh, that they get exposed to those things and that they get access to those things in a way that then enables them to feel empowered to make whatever that next decision is, whether that's wanting to move across country to you know, explore somewhere new and, or take a job somewhere, uh, 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 different, um, or do different things that they're, they're able to do that without the barriers that I think all of us sometimes put up <laughs> for them. You know, maybe if we're going to improve retention and persistence and experience, maybe the future's individual, maybe it's individualized much more than it's, that's ever been Kelsey. That might be a way to think about it. It's, indi um, it's individual at scale. Yep. So individualizing yeah. things at scale is really, I think that's something yeah. Arizona State is trying to do yep. um, and, and actually being successful at. And uh, But there's still so much room for yeah. opportunity. Well, Jim, uh, we're so grateful to you for spending time with us today. You've been from Massachusetts to California to Australia to Arizona State to us, and we're grateful we're part of that journey. And uh, you shared something personal about yourself and what i can say is from one adopted guy to another i'm also adopted and part of my identity in a strong way um, i'm grateful that you shared that story too so thanks so much for what you do in higher education and uh, for being with us today no thanks thanks so much for having me uh it's uh it's been a pleasure So Lauren, are you ready for some extra credit? I am ready for extra credit. Always. I need extra credit. Story I, of my academic life. Same. So, so Jim today, when talking about all of the places he's lived, he said, um, just pack me up in a box and I'm yeah. ready to move. It's like, okay. So 
have you spent most of your life in Michigan or have you moved around? What's that been like for you? No, I've moved a lot, much more than I thought. I mean, I lived uh, on the East Coast, worked in Pennsylvania and, and Connecticut. I worked in uh, Missouri, Indiana, Michigan. So mostly, you know, Midwest and East, um, much more than I thought I would. Now I have moved to Ann Arbor three times. So maybe there's something <laughs> about that. I don't, I don't know. How about you? It, it keeps bringing you back. Yeah. Well, yeah. grew up in Illinois, left at 27 years old saying I'd be gone for five years and we haven't moved back. We've lived in hmm. six different states. I will say um, the box that you have to put us in has gotten bigger mm -hmm. and the emotional, the taxing part of moving has gotten harder the older we've gotten. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, was it easy when you were earlier career? Was it, it was exciting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and we yeah. moved before there was um, GPS, right? So there was these yeah. things called paper maps. So you'd get to a city and you could figure Grand it McNally. all out and it was all exciting. And now I'm yeah. like, where do I get my haircut? I can't handle it. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I have moved more than I thought. I, um, I have to say it hasn't been hard, but there was a guest earlier we talked to who talked about grief. And, you know, we had a conversation around letting go, you know, the excitement of new beginnings still requires some letting go. And I agree, it's gotten harder. I'm really never going to move again. I will go somewhere in the winter, which was too long, but um, yeah, it's gotten harder. I think it's because not only you have more stuff and need bigger boxes, but your emotional connections to people and the familiarity that you crave so that everything else can be new, you know, the familiarity and the roots to the to the doctor or the salon or whatever, um, has, has gotten more necessary. I think for me anyways. Yeah, that's right. And I, I would say the pandemic made it so for me even more that I created a community of friends in a place I never expected to live, which was Charlottesville, Virginia. And to this day, they, they hold a special place in my heart. So mm. here's to having some stability and the ability to, to move as needed. Right on. Until next time. Campus Confidential is presented by Compass Group, produced by Corey Insko and Jen Fisher, with your hosts, Kelsey Harmon-Finn and Lauren Rollman.